This week on the Abundant Woman Collective Podcast, we have a special guest, Natalie Reunion from the Raise to Stay Ministry. If you followed me on social media for any amount of time, I share her stuff pretty frequently because she is such a light and she speaks truth and she's encouraging all in the same post, basically. And so super fun. Today we are talking about church hurt and women in ministry. It's a combo of the two, and it's such a fun, educational, equipping conversation that will leave you inspired, equipped, and ready to just push forward and deepen your relationship with Jesus. Pastor's kid turned pastor, Natalie, her husband, Tony, and their two daughters live in Colorado Springs, Colorado, where she just actually left her position on staff. We'll talk about that a little bit in the episode, but she was pastor of women at New Life Church. She still attends the church. It's amazing. In her 20 years of ministry as a worship leader, songwriter, and pastor, Natalie has served various organizations and ministries across the country. In 2019, after watching many of her peers walk away from the church and their faith, Natalie began Race to Stay, a ministry for those who have wandered, wondered, and wrestled with the church and the challenges of full-time ministry. Her heart is to see a generation of leaders finish their race as they partner with a good, good father who is faithful to complete the work that he began in each of us. Natalie is a sought-after speaker in the local and global church and is releasing her first book, published with David C. Cook in summer of this year. You can learn more, of course, about Raise to Stay on Instagram at Raise to Stay. And without further ado, let's dig in. Hey friend, welcome to the Abundant Woman Collective podcast. Do you want to grow in your faith and have an intimate relationship with Jesus? Do you wake up with big ambitious goals only to be overwhelmed and frustrated when you're way too busy and forgot to prioritize your time with him again? Hey, I'm Sam and I too was someone who craved a deeper relationship but was too busy to make it happen. I felt overwhelmed at trying to fit him in and wished I could be confident in my faith and identity. I wanted to read the Bible and actually understand what I was reading but I kept telling myself that I didn't have the time, the know-how, or the discipline or tools to make it happen until I found a little secret to get rid of the Christian checklist. In this podcast, you will find biblical truth, hope-filled conversations with women who are right where you are, and all of the practical tools to implement so that you will be able to deepen your relationship with Jesus. So grab your copy, Bible and pen, and let's dig in. Welcome to another episode of the Abundant Woman Collective. Today, we have a special guest. I'm super excited. You've seen me share a lot of her <laughs> Instagram squares because her message resonates so well. Um, but we have Natalie Reunion here with us from Race to Stay. Welcome. Hi, you guys. It's so good to be here. Thank you so much. Okay, so we were talking before and I'm excited. I read your bio, but I want to hear sort of where you are right now in life ministry, because I think that's a great update to sort of give us. Yeah. So I've been a pastor's kid and in ministry my entire life. And I've been bivocational at times, which I think a lot of us, when we were in our twenties, we had to work multiple jobs, you know, um, if we wanted to do the thing in ministry, we had to do other things. And so I was bivocational for a while, but I've always been on a church staff in some capacity. And actually this past week, I 
resigned from my position in full-time vocational ministry to pursue uh, raised to stay, to be a mom, to travel, and to really like kind of shift my focus from uh, just one church to being part of the global church. So um, I'm really walking out my raised to stay message right now in that we can stay in a church and not have a position that we can, you know, live out this great commission through other ways in our jobs, whether it's being doctor, teacher, parents, whatever that looks like, um, and still be connected to the local church and do it well. So it's a whole new season for me at 43 years old to not be on a church staff. Um, I love it. New rhythms. (laughs) Yes. That's so good though. It's, it's literally walking out your message and that's fantastic. And there's no hard feelings. There's nothing dramatic that happened. It was just you leaving one local church to help the global church, which Yes. Praise God. How fun. We can't be afraid of transition. And I think the church has always like kind of tainted transition as if it's a bad thing. Like we have to be loyal. I love the meme that says you can leave a church and go to another one. We're not in a gang. You know, we are, (laughs) you know, we're not like East side, West side. Um, and in this situation we're staying in the church, I just am not in a position. So it, it's really modeling even to our congregants that we can, we can do this well and to the staff that we can dream and God can move us around and we can still love each other. Well, so good. Yes. Okay. So tell me about raised to say, you said a little bit of the mission, but how did it start? I was 40. We had just moved our family from Ohio to Colorado and I was on, I was on new life worship. I was so excited about being part of that worship department. And it was about two years in that things kind of shifted and they moved me from worship to become our women's pastor. Mm. And I knew at the time it was because they saw something in me that I couldn't see in myself. They really believed I had a teaching gift. They wanted to champion that. And I, I loved, I loved it and I hated it because worship had become my identity and I didn't want to do anything else. I didn't move my family, you know, all that way to be a women's pastor. And so I was on the sidewalk one day and I told the Lord, I just want to quit. You know, Mm -hmm. there were some surrounding that, that transition that was hard. And I have a degree in kinesiology. I'm like, you know, I could be going and making a lot more money teaching or, personal training. And so I was just having my own personal temper tantrum with the Lord. Like you bait and switched me. You brought me here under the disguise of worship. And now I'm a women's pastor. I don't even like women. Like what is this, you know? Yeah. And and it was really on that walk that the Lord audibly, and and I say this, that maybe like in my life, I've had the Lord speak to me five times, like audibly that I heard the phrase raised to stay. Mm. And I just started crying because I knew I had just heard something from the Lord, but I was not expecting. And I went home and I Googled raised to stay and there's nothing, there's no podcast, there's no um, ministry, there's no Instagram account. And I went ahead and got all of the handles. I got all (laughs) smart and I had no idea what that was going to be. I just knew that if I wanted to quit and I was done, that there had to be other people who had wanted to quit and wanted to be done. So these black boxes that I started writing on Instagram, I wrote my first one that day. And Mm -hmm. I said, the church did not hurt you. A few broken people did. Don't give up. You were raised to stay. And I I kind of walked away from it. I mean, I might've had like 3000 followers on my personal Instagram account. And, you know, there was like a smattering of likes and some people were like, that's really good. And so every day I just started writing to myself why I needed to stay. Mm. I would put them on a black box. And and so now that community has grown to its own Instagram account. 
And what I am learning is that we really do have a group of people, this remnant, um, 83,000 of us to be exact. Yeah. We want to be raised to stay, but we're also going to be really honest that every day we want to quit. And that has been the journey three years of just showing up and telling people why I want to quit and why God says we should stay. And that's been how this thing whole, this all started. It's so good because our flesh tells us to run. There's another church on another corner. Someone else can use our gifts better or whatever. Right. And And then also like we can run to anywhere else, especially like I live in the South. I could throw a rock and hit 500 churches. Right. So, But then also our flesh wants to sit in our hurt sometimes like people hurt us. And so maybe we want to soak in that, or we want to use that as our identity and the Lord say, no, keep going, like stay there, push through people sting, but I am still good. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, you know, the church hurt conversation is one that I, I do think is validated. I mean, it needs to be, mm-hmm. it needs to be had. obviously we live in a culture right now where anybody and everybody has a platform yeah. to air the dirty laundry. And when I was a kid, you know, you might get hurt by the church and then we just don't see people anymore. They either go to a new house or they, they don't come back and yeah. you didn't really know why you just knew they weren't there anymore. Now you get a whole dissertation, an article, uh, a podcast, like it's, <laughs> Now, you know, church hurt has become this buzzword and it is really easy just to think, well, I'll just like tell, I'll just like pull the bride skirt up on the bride and expose everything about her and hope it burns. And then we just walk away. And I don't, I know that's not the answer. That's because the church is God's idea. Yes. Loves his bride. So for us as believers, when we get hurt, we have a responsibility to, um, to really ask the Lord, how do you want to heal me in this? Do you want me to go to another church? Do you want me to, um, fight for, you know, what's happening in this house? And a lot of us aren't taking the time to actually pray through that. Yeah. We're just taking our toys and going home. Yeah. You take your toys and going home. Yeah. I used to have such a, um, because I feel like, like you, like growing up, you know, I never heard about church hurt. I'm a pastor's kid as well. I was born on a pew, basically like, but I also had this thing where this, I, we're just being really honest here that I felt like, are y'all kidding me? Like you want to see church hurt. Let me show you some stories, like being in the ministry for so long. Like, let's talk, let's compare battle wounds. Like, but then really what I realized at some point was like, okay, I'm not, I don't ever want to discount someone else's story. It was just sort of like, it became such a hot topic. And I would hear of some of these offenses and I'm like, y'all come on, like, (laughs) which isn't a fair posture, but that was just my like flesh. Like that's not, do you want to see church hurt? Like, let me show you, let let's lift up this curtain because we can show you all of the battle wounds and yet we've kept going. But I think what I did miss was the idea that we were made to stay. We were made to continue in ministry. Like if obviously if that's what the Lord's telling you, but it was more like, discounting other people's. And so I held the word church hurt. It still sort of bugs me (laughs) like that phrase, but it was because everyone aired their dirty. Like you said, like, I didn't realize that everyone wanted to get it out there. And some people want to get it out there to heal or to teach others sort of lessons, but the majority wanted to light the match and then run away or just, or just walk away from their faith altogether. Right. And so I would get so frustrated with that. And I've had to reconcile that with God, like my pride almost. And like, yo, there's been so much church hurt and yet we're still here. Why are these people running away so quickly? 
not realizing that like we all have <laughs> feelings and all of that, but it was the sort of light the match and run away idea. You have to remember that as pastor's kids, like this is a family business. Yeah. Whether we wanted to absorb it or not, we, we took it and we are very defensive of the house of God. We want to protect it. It's been good to us, even though it's been hard on us. And so as pastor's kids, we are kind of like a little extra defensive of the mm-hmm. church. Which I think it's, it's important. Those of us who are still in it. But what, one thing I'm learning is that most people aren't church hurt. They're church offended. Yes. And there is a massive difference between abuse yeah. hurt, offense. And I think it's important that we all are, have enough self-awareness and self-regulation to be able to identify, have I been abused? Have I been hurt? Or am I offended? Mm-hmm. And offense is a choice. We right. choose to take up offense. We choose to say, I'm not going to believe the best in that person or that situation. And offense is a sin. It's mm-hmm. a sin on the person who offended us and it's a sin on us for picking it up. And I would say out of all of the things that I'm reading on social media, most people are offended. Yeah. And that is where I tend to have my high justice button come in and be like, any of us could choose to be offended by any given thing that happens to us in any given day. And you don't see us deconstructing from McDonald's because they didn't give us the right order or from a store because they now make us pay for plastic bags or whatever it is that like kind of rubs us the wrong way. We don't cancel mainstream things yet. The church will do one thing. Like the pastor didn't greet me on Sunday morning or I get to teach the Bible study I wanted to, or I'm not singing the solo. I always sing. And immediately we cancel the church, because we have this unmet expectation on the bride that we didn't know we had. And so most of our offense comes from bad communication from the church Mm -hmm. um, or unmet expectations. And we have to call it what it is. I'm disappointed. I've been let down. And then when we can actually name that offense, then we can start working through that. But when we've really been abused, Like we have to be really careful that just because we've been offended, we don't use the word abuse because Mm -hmm. then that does silence the voices of those who've truly been abused. Yeah. 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 And I mean, even if for the guests that are listening, there's probably a wide range of listeners who have had some experience with the church. Hopefully I would love to say mostly good. Um, but there's probably that one that has been abused. And so that I do want to make clear is not what I'm talking about when I'm like, eh, it is really the offense. It's the cancel culture. It's the idea that we can just light the match, walk away and go deconstruct our faith. And I, the deconstructing faith thing is sort of newer to me and being mainstream as well. And I so bad, just want to like have a group huddle, <laughs> hug it out, but then be like, let's talk about this. Let's like therapy this because it is, it, it could be offense. It could be this, but like, what were our actions in it? What were the church's actions in it? But obviously that's not life and we can't just all hug it out. But, um, it does break my heart when I hear of people walking away, but I love, that is one of the reasons I love the black boxes because <laughs> the black boxes are kind of like mic drop statements and, but the captions full of truth that you're like, yes, this may have happened to you. Or you sort of speak to the full range of church goers with the underlying theme of stay, which most people are bouncing. So I do love that. I want to know how has raised to stay affected your ministry at the church or like has, have they, the two worlds of new life and raised to stay combined at all? Like, does the church love what you're doing? Do they know? 
Oh yeah. You know, new life is such a champion of pastors. It's mm-hmm. one of those places that actually pastors come when they need healed because our pastor is known for being a pastor to pastors. And I think it's really important that there are hubs throughout the United States of churches that are safe places for people who yeah. are burned out, worn out. And so when I, when raised to state came, it was kind of like, they were like, write what you're right. What God is giving you, you know, um, when I got the book deal, they were so excited about that. Um, because you know, there all of our men were writing books, but very few women yeah. you know, are actually writing books. And I could tell they were proud of me and that they were excited. I think the local church as a whole has a really hard time when individual ministries start to kind of bud out of the of the house, and rightfully so, because I think a lot of people uh, will use the local church to gain an audience or gain mm-hmm. a platform. And so it's, understandable that leadership would be a little bit skeptic of what the intention is of an artist coming in like a a worship leader and just wanting to use the platform as an opportunity to get songs out to write songs so because we you know just like lay people and staff have been hurt leadership has been hurt by people taking advantage of their platform and so I think as Raise the State started to grow everybody was watching it um, with excitement, but also a little bit of trepidation. And like, what is this going to look like for us? And at the end of the day, I really felt the Lord say, they're proud of you. They're happy for you, but this is not a new life ministry. This is a church global church ministry. And in order to honor the house you're in, it's probably best for you to go ahead and take this outside of here and, and just be a normal member of the church and let them celebrate you as a congregant. And, you know, this takes a lot of spiritual awareness and, a lot of counseling because we want so much for people to just love what we do and to always have people on our, on our team. And I think we have to be okay with the fact that there's just a time when a healthy separation has to happen for the, for the good of everyone. And this is not an easy thing, especially when you're in your twenties and in your thirties, and you just think the church should just roll out the red carpet to whatever you want to do. It, this does take a lot of humility and love for your leadership to be able to say it's, it's like Taylor Swift. It's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. Like I'm the one who needs to go and, and do the thing God's asked me to do. So I write that black box that the church is not a talent agency. Yeah. And I write that because I do think we have a lot of expectation on the church and when they don't meet our expectations, then we get hurt. Yes. And you know, I've seen a lot of worship leaders because worship was my first thing that I did go into a church and expect that church to give them a record deal or uh, use their songs or um, highlight them. And when they weren't, that was hurtful and that was painful. And that wasn't their whole purpose of being in the church. Their purpose is to serve the church, not for the church to serve us. To serve them. Yeah. Um, so, you know, for Raise to Stay, I knew it would eventually come to a point once I saw the numbers jumping and the book deal, it was like, okay, new life's responsibility to me is not the champion raise this day. Yeah. My job is the champion new life. And at any point that becomes confusing, then it's time for me to make a decision. And that just happened. And, and, you know, like you said, it's been a good transition, um, but it's taken a lot of, you know, for myself, spiritual maturity to not demand something that they never promised me. Yeah. Yeah. And to have such a healthy outlook. I love that for both the church leadership and for you, like that story makes me (laughs) so happy. (laughs) Um, I want to know, okay. We've talked about church hurt a little bit. I want to know, and I'm totally throwing you off cuff here, but what are maybe your top few one, two, three tips? If someone has 
experience church hurt to sort of move on or reconcile or whatnot? We have to have mentors and disciples in our lives who are walking with us. And I know we all like to think we got it figured out and we don't need any help. But honestly, the reason I'm still here is because of Jesus, but also because I have been taught from a young age to have multiple voices speaking into my life. My parents were always like, go find somebody 10 years, 20 years, 30 years older than you who you can trust with what God's doing. And so I've always had mentors. And I think when you go through a church hurt, you need people in your life who know you, who can look at you and say, here's a mirror. Mm -hmm. I want you to look yourself in the mirror. And I want you to tell me what you see. Where are you at fault here? And then also where are you hurt? Like where, what really happened? And so those phone conversations and those one-on-ones and those coffees, people who aren't associated with your church, you need those people in your life who can like really speak into you um, and not just tell you what you want to hear. Number two, counseling. You know, I grew up in in an environment where if you needed counseling, you didn't trust Jesus. And I think that counseling and spiritual direction are two of our most um, potent weapons that we have as humans to be able to really unpack what's happening in our hearts. Because most of the hurt we're feeling is not from right now. It's from 10 years ago, 15 years ago that we never dealt with and rooted out. So counseling really like takes us on a deep dive and gets us talking about things, whether it's abuse or it's rejection or what, or identity, whatever it is, that's kind of keeping us hung up on the hurt, um, is really like what I think is a valuable tool. And then finally, you know, just going to a church every day or every week, even though you don't want to, Mm -hmm. because the family of God is actually very healing and there are always going to be villains. We're going to be the villain from time to time. Um, but just like you and I know from growing up, like the church is a beautiful place when she's operating in health. Yeah. And I I refuse to believe every church is out there hurting people. Mm-hmm. So I think, yes, there are the few outliers. Yes, there are the few situations where you're going to be like, dang, like that's pretty evil. Yeah. Um, but I, like you said, in, in Tennessee, you could throw a rock and hit a church on any corner. I have to believe that one of those churches is a good place. Absolutely. Yeah. You know. So not forsaking the gathering of the saints, just because one saint acted like a fool, you know? (laughs) Yes. Let that saint stay in the fool zone. That's what I mean. Okay. You, we mentioned in your bio too, you're also a mama in ministry with a husband, a family. How we're going to switch a little bit from how do you juggle all of that? Like, give me all the tips, (laughs) but how do you juggle mama ministry? I I don't think I do. I think Mm -hmm. that look like a hot mess right now is because I dove out of bed at seven 30 to try to get my kid to school. And, you know, I think we're all winging it on some level. Um, I watch other moms that I respect and I admire, and I, I see that they do things that are, you know, a lot more organized than me. And, and I want to tell us all, you know, God has given us the kids he's given us because he knows that they can handle our lifestyle. Mm. And my kids are so flexible. They are so low maintenance. They don't require me to hold their hand to do anything. They're 10 and 14. They're girls. You know, they they just love being part of the church too. And they, they're proud. And yeah. so I just think God gives us the kids that he knows we can handle. Part of the reason I resigned was because I wanted to be home with my girls. And yeah. You know, I'm not a stay-at-home mom. I never have been. I've always wanted to work. I've worked since I was 14. Um, I'm not maternal in a lot of ways. And so I struggled with that. Like I felt guilty that I wanted to work and mm-hmm. that I wanted to 
um, have a career. And that was kind of opposite of some of my friends. Um, but I'm learning that every day is kind of like a, a trial and error. Like, okay, what worked? What didn't work? How do we cal- recalibrate? What is the, what's the need today? What's different today? And we're just really intentional about being together as a family. My kids enjoy being home. We yeah. do a lot together. My parents live with us. And so we have like this big happy clan that's in our home. And, um, but yeah, me deciding to step away from full-time ministry wasn't just about raised to stay. It was about raising my own stayers. How do I keep them in alignment with an understanding that they're more important to me than ministry Mm -hmm. that I want to be in their lives. I want to show up at their schools and, and be part of what they're doing. And so, yeah, I just think every day I, I wake up and I think, okay, it's a new day you know, what are we gonna, what are we gonna do with today? Um, and then my husband's not in ministry, which is a whole different dynamic because a lot of us who are in ministry as women, our husbands are also in ministry. Mm -hmm. Um, and my husband's not, he's in sales. He was a ball player for 15 years and then is in sales now. And, you know, that's a whole dynamic in and of itself to have a pastor in the house. Who's a woman and not a man. Um, and just navigating that. So, I think all of our families are different, but God gives us grace for every season and every assignment. Yeah. I love that. Yes. Thank you. I hear some permission slips for myself in there because I feel like (laughs) in my past life, if you will, I used to do marketing, social media marketing before abundant woman, um, before he asked me to put it down. And so I was constantly seeing through my accounts or my clients accounts of like the squares that are perfectly that like perfectly looked and like, Oh, look at these homeschooling children. They're all sitting down or this one's making breakfast. And mine are like monkeys hanging off the walls, <laughs> the comparison, but yes, God has given me the talents to raise my children. And he has given those children to me for a reason, hopefully not to jack them up. <laughs> I'm just kidding, but, right. Um, I love that. What you mentioned, um, raising stairs. And I love that. What are some ways that we can teach our kids to love the church, to not listen to the lies of culture that says bounce? It's hard because you can only be hurt if you love, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of us go into self-preservation mode because we know if we put ourselves out there that there's a likelihood we're going to be rejected. We're going to be hurt. We're going to whatever we want to call it. And for our kids, we're just teaching them to love the people before they love anything else. If, if you can love the people, then when people act out or when there is something that happens, you are so in love with that body that you want to fight for it. Mm. And when we establish position over people, when we say, okay, you get to lead worship and you get to um, be on a stage and you get to do this in the church, then everything becomes contingent upon that position. And so if that position is taken away, then there's no skin in the game, right? You're like, well, I can just go somewhere else and be on a platform or do what I want to do. But when we fall in love with the people first, then we're willing to clean toilets just to be with those people. So what we're doing is we have our kids on serve one, attend one, because we have two services at, at our church. And so we don't let them serve both because it's really easy. Yeah. As we know, as adults to get to serve mode and never actually sit through a worship service. So mm-hmm. we have them either hand out candy at the entrance. They rock babies. They push strollers. They help in Sunday school classrooms, whatever that looks like. 
And then they attend one either in their classroom or in the main sanctuary with their friends or with us. And really what that's doing is it's introducing them to, the, to adults. It's getting them connected to whole families. They're not just in their youth group showing up and only having youth group friends. Now they're looking for people who are 60, 70. They're looking for the babies. So it's a multi-generational love of the church while also teaching them how to serve the church. And we don't put our kids on platforms first. Our kids first start off changing diapers or working in the cafe or something that is a service model versus a performance model. And then that way, if they do have a gift like singing or playing an instrument or teaching, those are things that we're developing through character, not through just opportunity because they're a pastor's kid or because they're talented. And I think we do our kids a huge disservice when we see somebody who's talented and we just throw them on a platform because yeah. we need them. Mm -hmm. That cannot be our first go-to. So yeah, we're just teaching our kids. We don't like push it. We don't force it. We're not like every Sunday morning, like we're going to be in the house of God, darn it. Like we're not <laughs> like every time the doors are open, we're there too. Like we, we really do want them to like ask us and they do every time the doors are open. They're like, are we going to church? And we're like, we want church. So <laughs> yeah, I love that. Especially for families that are in ministry serving, especially smaller churches. Like I come from a small church background and even the church we have here in Tennessee is a, it's funny how much they remind me the California church and Tennessee church of each other, but it's a smaller church. And so I think what you said is super important too, for us workers, ministers, whatever our title is in the church with young kids and with families that you don't have to be there every time the doors open. Like you can train someone up to help fill that role because we want the church to be a place where our kids enjoy, where they can serve. And I love, love people. That is our family role is love God, love people. And I feel like hopefully this will help counter so many of the things that my kids are going to deal with. Like you have to love this person. Like Jesus loves them. That means you have to love hard, but then that's a whole nother topic about, you know, accepting, but like um, we don't have to be there every time the church doors are open. And I, we were that way because I was like, my dad was the pastor. I was like his right-hand girl other than my mom, obviously like his non-spouse, right-hand person. And so every time, like every time the church was open, it was because we were doing something in it. And so even my kids were always in Sunday school, either with me or just in Sunday school, where when we moved here, I didn't do anything. I didn't serve. I sat, I listened, I got poured into, I got like my band-aids needed stronger <laughs> adhesive. I needed to just sit and enjoy. And same thing with my kids. They needed to be in class where um, they could meet friends without their mom there without, you know. And so I think that's super important for us, but it's so hard to do because we're usually all wrapped up in it. But, and I love your model of serve one, attend one. I'm like, how can I get my, oh yeah, my oldest can probably go, Hold some babies. She would love that. <laughs> you mentioned that your parents are in ministry. Um, what is something that they did to sort of inspire you, encourage you? I mean, it was all we knew. It, mm -hmm. it was, I think about it. My dad, from the time I was a little girl, was taking us to soup kitchens and, you know, to um, nursing homes. I'm. It was literally every Sunday after church, we were going to the nursing home and giving communion and I would lead worship. And there was just something about, you know, that routine that we had as the family that was comforting. And I, I think nostalgia, I think holy nostalgia is actually really powerful when we associate 
good memories to serving people and to the church. That's kind of what I still sense. Like Sundays for me, I can't sleep in, you Mm -hmm. know, I can't not go to church unless I'm sick. Yeah. Not because I feel a religious obligation, but because I have enough hope and anticipation in me and expectation to wonder what's God going to do today. Yeah. What's he going to do with his people? What conversations am I going to have? What, what encounters am I going to have today? And I think my parents did a really good job of making church fun and making serving God fun. We obviously worked really hard and went through a lot of hard seasons. And one in particular was in high school when I ended up, like I was supposed to go to a Christian college and because we got hurt so bad, I didn't, I ended up going to public university. And so I might've seen some things. And so I think for my own kids now, we're just trying to do that with my parents living with us. We all are all in, like, we just, yeah, we just see every opportunity as a way to serve the Lord, whether we're picking somebody up for church or we're taking somebody out to eat, or we're having people to our home. It's always a kingdom invitation. And that way it's never confined to a building. It's always like we are kingdom. And so, um, if that's what our goal is, then every day is an opportunity from public school to eating out to be the kingdom of God here on earth. So that's just the way, you know, again, excitement, just, it's not boring. It doesn't have to be intense all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It is fun. I think it's fun, but yeah, absolutely. Okay. Before we wrap up, um, at the end of each episode, I do like a rapid fire. There's just fun questions to get to know you. But before then I want to talk about the book. I want you to tell us about the book, plug it, tell us where we can all buy it and share, like you shared before, how, how cool God is. Gosh, yes. So the book is called Raised to Stay. Lisa Bavier wrote the foreword and I'm just so excited about the book. It's a holy invitation, I believe, to healing. And it's a good, it's a good story. It's not bashing the church, but it's also not defending abuse. It's not um, validating abuse. I break it into four sections, the hurt, the hard, the hope, and the holy. Um, And I really unpack how the disciples even like went through losing a leader and kind of being left to do this thing on their own. Um, and how that just impacted their, their ministry throughout all of the new Testament. And so for me, that's, that book has just been such a gift from the Lord. And we started, it'll come out July 4th. We started pre-orders in December and we are already just hitting records and breaking things. And it's just incredible to watch the family of God carry this book. Um, so you can pre-order it on Amazon books, a million Barnes and Noble Christian books. I am right now doing a giveaway. Uh, a couple of artists have joined me and we are doing all kinds of giveaways for pre-orders right now. I do have a dream of seeing this book hit New York times bestseller. Um, I think a book on a reconciled church being on the New York times list would be an absolute. So cool. Yes. So that's why I'm pushing hard. We are trending to hit that. We just have to keep going. So all pre-orders and bulk orders, if you think your church would want to do this or have it in their bookstore, um, all bulk orders can get major discounts. So you guys can message me on social media for that. But um, yeah, I just believe in the message and that's why I'm pushing pre-orders so hard is because I do believe God is going to use it to bring healing. So fun. I'm excited. I'm super excited. I, um, July seems so far, but in my world, not yours, obviously you're probably like July's like tomorrow, Sam. (laughs) Um, (laughs) well, I'm going to be recording the audiobook in March. So all pre-orders are going to get the audiobook. Um, it'll come quickly. Me and America will be showing up on your doorstep on July 4th. (laughs) 
Um, but until then, you know, I'm traveling, I'm like going to different churches and just sharing this message. So you're right. My world, it'll come fast. Your world will be maybe a little slower. (laughs) That's great though. I, yes, I'm excited for all your travel. And I think that's, uh, another way that you're actually going to walk out the book literally physically. And that's so fun. Does your family travel with you or does it just depend? Sometimes my kids are homebodies. Like they will go with me if I'm going somewhere with a beach, but for the most part, it's like, you know, I'm going to Canada next week. And let's just say nobody offered to go to that one. <laughs> so. They don't want Canada in December or January, whatever. Uh, Canada. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> oh, I would probably sign up for the beach one too. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Um, okay. So friends, I will put all of the links, race to stay.com ways you can pre-order the book here in the show notes to make sure to grab your copy, but then let's do some rapid fire. Um, Natalie, what is your favorite scripture right now? One that you're clinging to right now. Philippians one, six is just the theme verse of raised to stay that he who began a good work in us is faithful to complete it to the very end. And that is something I'm speaking over my family, over raised to stay over myself, that what God finishes, he always, you know, what he starts, he always finishes from the cross to the tomb to our lives now. And so to hold on to that promise that he's going to finish the work. Yes. And amen. Okay. This is kind of cheating. Cause I feel like you're loving a lot, but what is something in your life you're loving right now? I am loving my girls' ages. I'm having a blast being a preteen and teenagers and just the way that God is making them their own little people. Um, and so it's just been really neat to, to watch them, uh, you know, kind of become their own little stayers in their own right. <laughs> That's so fun. Well, you said 10 and 14. Yeah. Yeah. That's fun. That's fun. No more diapers. Praise Jesus. Um, who, okay. This is one that usually gets people stumped and I think it's so funny, but who would you like to play you in a movie? Sandra Bullock. Right away. I love it right away. It's Sandra Bullock. (laughs) She is one of my favorites. So cute. I like that. All right. Any last words of encouragement you'd like to give our listeners before we sign off? You know, just keep going. We all have a reason to quit. The enemy will always give us an out. He will always uh, make us feel like we can't go one more day. But Jesus demonstrated that what looks like death is actually the beginning of a resurrection. So if it's painful, it means God's going to bring some new life on the other side. So, So just keep going. I love it. Thank you so much, Natalie, for joining us. And I have loved this conversation. It has been so good. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, you guys. friend. I hope you were blessed by this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in before you go quick things. One, can you follow us on social? I would love to get social with you. Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube all have the username abundant woman co come say hi. Also, we have a free Facebook community that has women just like you building community, going after Jesus and just making connections. Come join us there. I can't wait to meet you. And last, I would love if you could screenshot this episode and share it on your socials for a chance to be featured. Until next time.